again, as I was introduced as Elder Pat, I am an elder here at the church and so blessed to be able to serve here. I've also been in pastoral ministry for over 20 years. I've planted churches and taught church planters, and I just love serving the Lord. And it is a great privilege to be here with you this morning. Let, let me start by saying that and dating myself a little, I grew up in the era of muscle cars. And I mean real muscle cars, the real deal, back in the 1960s, right? My very first muscle car was a 1969 Mustang Mach 1. With a 428 Cobra four-speed, it looked exactly like this one. Red interior, phenomenal. Stupid thing for a 16-year-old kid to have that much power. It's like crazy. I bought that car for 1200 bucks. 1200. That car in mint condition today goes in the six figure range. Oh, to known then what I know now. Well, I traded that car to a friend for a 1970 Challenger. That one had a 383 Magnum for those of you that care. Then I went to a 68 Torino. From a 68 Torino to a 1972 Trans Am with a 455 HO. It was just, uh, it was a really nice season of life to be in. You see, we traded cars in those days like other kids trade baseball cards. We exchanged one car for another exchange. Isn't that the basis of of how we do life? We exchange hours for dollars. It's called a job. We exchange dollars for stuff, food and rent and fuel for the muscle car. Society is structured on this concept of giving for getting. So I have the privilege and the pleasure of, of closing out the series, The Great Exchange. We've learned so far from Pastor Drew and Pastor Mitch how Jesus willingly exchanged his divinity for humanity, how he willingly exchanged heaven for earth, how he exchanged his strength for our weakness. Today, I I, want to talk about the greatest exchange. Jesus has exchanged his life for our eternity. And and the way I want to go into this is I want to lead into it with a question. Non-Christians all over the map have way kinds of crazy answers to this question. Jesus' followers should have a quick and easy and decisive answer to the question. And the question is this, how do you get to heaven? How do you get to heaven? For those watching online, we are so happy to have you with us, but we're going to shut you out for the next few minutes. You see, I have a video that I really want to show, and we aren't allowed to show that video and live stream it. So for the next two minutes, you're going to have silence. But then when you come back, I'll catch you up. Check out this video. All right. So for the benefit of those online, the video showed these person on the street interviews and the interview stopped people on the street and asked the question, how do you get to heaven? And the answers were all over the map. I don't believe in heaven. No one goes to heaven. I don't know. I never really thought about it. Many, many people though, I'm thinking you probably heard a common theme. Many people said, 
Well, because you're a decent human being. That's how you get to heaven. Doing the right things, that's how you get to heaven. Being a good person, well, that's how you get to heaven. Good deeds, that's what gets you into heaven. So so imagine now that you're that person holding the microphone. You're doing the man on the street interviews. And you're a Jesus follower. You have an opportunity to continue that conversation with some of those people that you interviewed. And you might say something like, I can tell you with great certainty how to get to heaven. And there's only one way, and that's through Jesus. He said in John 14 at verse six, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, in that particular passage where you find that passage in the Bible, Jesus is having a teaching moment with his followers. He is describing to them where God lives. He's describing to them heaven. He's describing that place where there's no more fear, no more pain, no more crying, no more death, no more disease. That's where God is, and that's where God wants us to be. And he promised those who accept him for who he is would find eternal life and go to that place where God is. He very clearly stated, I am the way, and I am the only way. There are, in fact, over a hundred times in Scripture where it's repeated, Jesus is the only way. All right, so you're the man on the street doing the interview, you're having a conversation with that person, and now you just told him, Jesus is the way, and he's the only way. Play that conversation out. What are some likely responses? Those people in those interviews, do you think they would respond with, oh, well, cool, I didn't know that. No, they're gonna respond with things like, why are you Christians so narrow-minded? What about good, loving people? What about other religions? Why would God only have one way? Those are all good questions, and they're fair questions. And I I think most of us here can answer the question of how to get to heaven, Jesus. But we struggle to answer the questions that follow. Think about that for a minute. How would you handle that kind of pushback from someone that's not a believer? And that's what I get to address today. That Jesus is the only way is the most often cited objection to Christianity. It's offensive to those who don't know Jesus. It's offensive because it's so narrow-minded and it's arrogant and it's bigoted. People don't like it. And to be full disclosure, I don't either. I don't. I would much rather tell you that God loves this world so much that everyone goes to heaven. I wanna say that. I can't because God didn't. See, what he said was, I love the world so much, I sacrificed the life of my only son so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. I exchanged his life for yours. Not everyone, but everyone who believes. And that is perceived as exclusive and arrogant. And it's offensive. But the real question isn't whether or not it's offensive, is it? The real question that I would hope some of those folks would ask 
Is it true? Is it true? And if it is, this world needs people to help them understand it. Because it's a wall standing. Don't yet know Jesus and the eternity we want them to have with us. You see, if we can knock down that wall, maybe they find the way. Such a huge topic, right? And a catalyst for many conversations with someone. My hope and my objective today is to give each one of us a starting point for those conversations. Because my guess is, if you're anything like me, you have people in your life that you love desperately who don't yet know Jesus the way you know Jesus. And you want them to have an eternity and they may have the very same objections that all these other people have. So what if we actually had some answers to those questions? We're gonna discuss three questions today. What is the way? What about other ways? And why believe Jesus is the only way? So many people in that video and in our everyday lives today believe that good people should go to heaven. I mean, that is the common theme running throughout the world. Good people should go to heaven. And how many of those people would say, well, I'm good people. All of them, right? Every single one of us thinks we are basically like good people. I mean, the result of that way of thinking is everyone goes to heaven because we're like, well, you know, I'm not like an ax murderer and I try to do the right thing most of the time. I treat people with kindness, except the ones I kind of don't like. I don't steal. I helped a cat out of a tree once. I don't help little old ladies across the street, but I don't run over them either. I'm a good person. Virtually everyone thinks they're basically good. And I've got a perfect example. Most of us have heard of a guy named Al Capone. Again, dating myself, but most of us have heard of him. he's, He's like a gangster, right? And for the young people in the room, he's not like gangster. He's a gangster, like Godfather kind of gangster. We're talking drugs and we're talking murder. And they are bad, bad people. Organized crime. Al Capone was the leader of the Chicago Mafia. He was one of the baddest of the bad. And this is a quote from Capone. I've spent the best years of my life just trying to give people the lighter pleasures. I want them to have a good time. And all I get is abuse, the existence of a hunted man. Can you just see him at heaven's gate? Whoever's guarding the door at the time. And he says, hey, come on. I'm not a bad guy. You know, I just help people have fun. And I only killed Gangsters, like mostly, I think Al Capone actually thought he was good enough to get into heaven. So this conversation assumes that one believes in God, one believes in an afterlife, or at least allows for that possibility. And the confusion is what it takes to get there. Odds are the person that you're talking talking to 
believes that goodness is the key, but goodness isn't the issue. Badness is. There's no such thing as good enough because good enough isn't God's standard. Perfection is. You see, God has rules. And anyone who breaks the rules, even one of the rules, can't spend eternity with him. Only perfect people go to heaven. Now, just just quick straw poll. Perfect people in the room, raise your hand. Yeah, I've been around a long, long time and I've asked that question a lot of times and not once has someone raised a hand saying, I am so perfect, I should get into heaven. Now you are perfect through the blood of Jesus. You are made perfect through that. Um, The apostle Paul was dealing with this very same issue. And he was trying to help the people of his day understand the very same concept. So I'm going into Romans chapter three, starting at verse nine. So are we Jews better than others? No, we've already said the Jews and those who are not Jews are guilty of sin. As the scriptures say, there is no one who always does right, not even one. So Paul is just stating what we already know about ourselves. We mess up. We make mistakes. We are not perfect. We're not murderers, but we're not perfect. Later on in that same chapter, the apostle Paul goes on in verse 23 and he says, everyone, everyone means like, well, everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's standard, which is perfection. And all need to be made right with God by his grace, which is a free gift. They need to be made free from sin through Jesus Christ. God sent him to die in our place, to take away our sins. We receive forgiveness through faith in the blood of Jesus' death. So what's in the way? Jesus died to take away sin. Forgiveness comes through faith. Now, what does that have to look like? We have to have faith that he, number one, he is God. And he came to earth willingly, on the cross, paid for our sin. He was raised dead, defeating death so that we could defeat Sin is humanity's problem. You paid close attention to the verse. Jesus is the solution. All right, so we're continuing this conversation with that individual, that person on the street. But what's the only way? Let's just say I'm willing to ride this train with you. Everyone makes mistakes. I get that. I don't claim to be perfect. You tell me it's those mistakes that stand between me and God. Why is Jesus the only way to fix them? There are lots of other religions. Can't any one of them also be away. One of the common mistakes non-religiously educated people make about things of faith is they assume they're all basically the same. I mean, don't most faith traditions teach you to be kind, teach you to do good, teach you to have values, teach you to pray or meditate or 
something similar. Most imp- uh, encourage moral behavior and they stress having good values. They're all basically the same, right? That's like saying these two pills I have here are the same. I mean, they are similar, right? They're both white, the same shape. They come to us in tablet form and they will both have a chemical effect on my body if I take them. Many people look at religion the same way we look at the pills. We look at all the similarities, but we fail to examine the differences. You see, if we get caught up in external appearance and we don't go deeper to find out the differences, well, they'll never know that one of these pills is just Tylenol. It's good to help us heal from pain. And one of these pills that looks so much the same is arsenic. At this point, the similarities are irrelevant, are they not? We shouldn't be worried about the similarities. We have to worry about the differences. Most people say that Christianity is fundamentally the same and only superficially different from other faith traditions. And unless we have the ability and the courage to point out the differences to the people we're having conversations with. It's like standing by and letting our friends and our family who don't yet know Jesus take that arsenic pill and do nothing. Most other faith traditions tell you to earn your way to heaven by moral living or by good works. And that is certainly a theme across the world. Christianity is based on faith, trust, and confidence that someone else did for us what we can't do for ourselves. It actually says we can't earn our way in. So most of the world wants to do good deeds, be a good person, live moral lives to earn their way into heaven. And Christianity says, nope, can't do that. Look at Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works. It's one of just dozens and dozens of verses that say the same thing. Back in the book of Romans at verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works. Galatians 2 at 16, yet we know a person is not justified by works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. I I could go on and on and on, but you get the idea. Christianity says Jesus plus nothing. Other faith traditions say believe in God and do lots of good works. Be a good person, live a good life. The Mormon faith goes so far as to say that we have to achieve perfection in this life. Other faith traditions, they say do. Christianity simply says believe in what's already been done. Jesus. Another problem with the always instead of one way is that many religious beliefs are mutually exclusive. They, they, they cancel each other out. So, so think of it this way. When you die, some situation is going to be true. Christianity says you die once and you go to one place or the other. 
Eastern religions say you'll be, re, you, you'll be reincarnated and you have to be reincarnated and die over and over and over and over and over and over again until you get it right. Atheism says we're just going to cease to exist. Here's the point. Christianity, Hinduism, atheism cannot all be right. The all roads lead to heaven argument holds no water. If all religions are true, then Christianity is true. But part of the truth of Christianity is that it says other religions are false. It teaches very clearly that Jesus is the only way. So logic, just logical argument. Either Christianity is correct and the others are not. Or these are correct and Christianity is not. Or they're all wrong. The point is, they can't all be right. All roads can't possibly lead to heaven. The natural next question is, well, if they're all not the right way, how do I decide which one is? Which circles all the way back to the beginning. And this is the one thing that I hope we can all take away this morning. Jesus is the only way because he's the only one. He's the only one who solved the problem of sin. If sin is the thing in the way, somehow it must be taken out of the way. Second thing, he's the only way because he's the only one to die and come back to life. Why do I believe Jesus is the only way? Because the only, he's the only one who solved the problem of sin and is the only faith leader who defeated death. And if we're talking about eternal life, cheating death, life after this life, does it not make sense to follow the only one who's actually accomplished that? It does to me. At least it makes sense for me to do some research into that one to find out if he truly is the way, the truth and the life. You see, every other faith leader pick a tradition and their leader has died and he's still in the grave. You see, the resurrection is everything to Christianity. Christianity rises and falls on that one fact. Paul even tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if the resurrection isn't true, then your preaching is useless and so is your faith. If the resurrection didn't happen, we are wasting our time in this place together on this morning. You see, in 1 Corinthians, he was addressing some concerns that had been raised about the resurrection. And and he was reminding the people of Corinth about the truth that he had shared with them previously. This comes out of Corinthians 15, starting verse 3. I passed on to you what I received, which was most important, that Christ died for our sins, as the scriptures say. He was buried, was raised to life on the third day, as the scriptures say, that he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, Jesus was seen by more than 500 of the believers at the same time. Most of them are still alive today. Some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And last of all, He was seen by me. 
I love this passage when it comes to evidence for the resurrection. I love it because Paul speaks with an air of absolute certainty. Look, he says, facts are facts. Jesus was crucified for our sins. It was witnessed by thousands and has been recorded by historians everywhere. He died. He was buried in a tomb, just like the Bible said it would happen. That is likewise indisputable. Now, the part you're struggling with is this whole resurrection thing. I get that. Believing someone came back from the dead, and that's difficult for any reasonable person to believe. But Paul would say, I'm here to tell you it's exactly what happened. I saw it. Peter saw it. The other apostles saw it. And here's the deal. If you're telling me you don't believe that, then you are basically calling me a flat out liar. And I can get past that because they appeared not only to us, but to over 500 others. If you don't believe me, go ask them. Most of them are still alive today. Go and ask. Jesus was raised from the dead. And what Paul was teaching them then is just as relevant for us today. We have every reason, and I'm talking logical, no kidding, evidence-based reason to believe Jesus was raised from the dead. History records the execution, not just the Bible, but extra biblical sources record that Jesus lived, that he was crucified, that he died, that he was laid in a tomb. No one disputes that. It's the historical record. The only thing in dispute was whether or not he raised from the dead because the tomb was empty. They had to figure out what happened to the body. Only his return to life is disputed. But the Corinthians, well, they were able to go ask any of 500 people that saw him with their own eyes. I'm going to close here. How do you get to heaven? Christianity says Jesus. Perfect people get into heaven. Imperfect people become perfect people in only one way. God came to earth, lived the perfect life, so he could go to the cross and die the perfect death to pay for our not-so-perfect lives. He willingly gave his life in exchange for our eternity. If you are here today or watching online today and you believe something different, ask yourself this one very important question. Why do you believe what you believe? What's, what's the foundation? Is there any reason to believe that it's true or is it just something you were taught as you were growing up and you've always accepted? Did the leader of your faith tradition rise from the dead or is he still in the grave? There's a lot of evidence, real, no kidding, historical evidence that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. Can you say the same? for whatever tradition it is that you follow. If you don't have an airtight, undisputable reason to believe what you believe, then I'm begging you to take a long, hard look at Jesus. 
I think you'll find that he is the way, the only way to defeat death and spend eternity in heaven with God, the one true God. See, Jesus is God's way of saying, I will pay for your mistakes. I love you. I want you. I forgive you. I want to give you this gift of eternal life. Will you take it? How will you respond? One last story, because everybody knows preachers love to tell stories, especially true stories. This is a story of our daughter, Aubrey, and her husband, Chad. 15 years ago, when they became engaged, Chad went to great lengths to plan the perfect proposal, and I was in on it. So it was Sunday morning, much like this, and just after I had closed my message, I did the unthinkable. You know, the most, the most silly thing that pastors have ever done or ever could do is to point out new people in the audience. At least if you ever want them to come back, you don't do that. So, yeah. So I grabbed a microphone and I walked out into the audience. You see, Aubrey had been inviting Chad's parents to come to our church for a long, long time. And finally, the moon and the stars aligned, and they were able to come on this particular day. And when she was sitting in the back, right about over there with Chad and his mom and his dad. And I came off the stage with that mic, and I said, we got some really, really special guests in the audience today. And I would love to introduce them to you. And as I'm walking that direction, the look of horror on my daughter's face was classic. I'm walking that direction and she is giving me, I mean, the look on her face, I think she was genuinely, genuinely angry with me. Yeah. So I walked over and I asked Chad, hey, Chad, would you be kind enough to introduce your parents to us? And Chad gets up takes the microphone, and he gets down on one knee. You see, Aubrey didn't know this was her moment. How would she respond? Well, that was 15 years ago. They are now married with three kids. I have never seen her squirm like that, and I love telling the story. (laughs) It was her moment. What you might ask, does that have to do with this this sermon? If you don't know yet, yet know Jesus, this is your moment. See, there's a bloodstained cross, an empty tomb, a risen Savior. And I want you to picture that the God of the universe is down on one knee, one knee for you if you don't yet know him. And he's telling you, I love you. I want to spend the rest of eternity with you. How will you respond? He wants to be your savior. So I don't know where you are in your walk with God. Maybe you grew up around him, but drifted away over the years. Maybe you come from a completely different faith tradition and 
never really heard or understood what Jesus was all about. Maybe you're hearing about him for the first time today. Whatever your situation, you realize it doesn't matter. God is down on one knee for you and he's been there your whole life. Asking the question, waiting for a response. This is your moment. Jesus is the way. He is the only way. But the beauty of that is the way is open to everyone. There's nothing exclusive about the message of the cross. He may be the only way, but everyone can take advantage of the way. Doesn't matter who you are, who you were, what you've done, what your faith tradition has been. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is that you and I are willing to admit I'm less than perfect. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sin and that you would accept his proposal to be your Lord, your Savior, your God. So if you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, you can do that right now. I just, I'm gonna ask you to pray a simple prayer. In fact, I'm gonna ask all of us to pray that prayer. And and here's why. For me, every time I hear this prayer from the stage or see it somewhere, it reminds me of that moment on July 13th, 1997, that I gave my life to Christ and prayed that prayer for the very first time. And then I get to look back on all the years hence and see what God has done with the person who prayed that prayer. If you have never prayed this prayer, I pray today is your day and that this is your moment. So let's pray this together. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Help me turn from my sins and invite you to become, come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. If you prayed that for the very first time today, would you be kind enough? I'm going to stand in the back while the service closes. Would you just come and hang out with me and let me know that? Love to help you on the next steps in that journey.